And Megan. For an insider's look at the latest hot topics for musicians in the industry. We'll be interviewing composers, musicians, performers, and singers from around the world. All covering the music topics and answering the toughest questions you want to hear most about. This This is is Experience Points. Points. Yay. our podcast Hi. today. Hi. Hey, we're back. And um, and we're back. <laughs> we, we have a really, really fun guest with us here um, this morning as we record this podcast. It's morning, people, and we're still sipping our coffee. And uh, I'm really, really excited to introduce this guest. Um, his name is Dr. Blake Brandis. And uh, he's, uh, I'll read his bio for you guys so you guys get a little taste of kind of who we have and what he does for a living. Uh, he has been a TEDx speaker, a America's Got Talent performer, and a co-founder. He is a co-founder of a personal development company called Motivational Millennial. He has a PhD in hip hop, if that's not interesting for you, and global youth culture, so it's a combined PhD. Uh, and Blake has spoken to over 200,000 students, parents, and educators from around the world, and he presents growth mindset and grit assemblies to help students remix their realities. He's also an award-winning beatboxer, rapper, and he's a music producer. Hooey. Wow. And has a beautiful home here in Berkeley. Totally. <laughs> Thank and you we're for inviting us in. We, uh, uh, he produced a number one radio, he produced number one radio songs in Europe, and he's performed over 200 shows around the world, uh, one of which hopefully is with us, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. time, that one time. Oh, yeah, that one time. That one time that America's Got Talent. <laughs> <laughs> Including, uh, he's, he's worked with a composer of the movie Moana, uh, and we all know who that is. Wow. Wow. So he's worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He was the recipient of the Marshall Scholarship, one of the most competitive postgraduate awards in the world, and he regularly coaches people on how to create lives filled with passion, resilience, and success. Please welcome Blake Brandis. So, so why am I co-hosting? He has a way... Because you're the co-host, more... Greg. That's why that's we hire it, you and pay you works, all the big right? money. So... <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Um, we're glad to have you, and we're glad that you like totally agreed to uh, be here on our little podcast here that's brand new, and you're our first special guest, which is really exciting. Um, and I don't mean to hi- I'm sorry, I don't mean to hijack the interview so early. You um, just did. Okay, cool. <laughs> Moving on. Um, and I don't, if you don't want to reveal trade secrets, it's fine, but so PhD in hip-hop, like what, what's your dissertation then? Like, and how long did it take you to, do you, do you write it? Do you perform something? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so I did a, <laughs> the PhD in hip-hop and global youth cultures was looking at how young people around the world use hip-hop mm-hmm. to form their identities and to form communities. And to answer your question, it started out just as a written dissertation, and I was struggling so badly. I had about a year and a half worth of writer's block, and I was Ooh. sitting in my basement apartment in New York City, just like struggling and you know watching episode after episode of Battlestar Galactica, trying to get that inspiration <laughs> to just write yeah. anything. I tried all the productivity tips, just write 100 words a day, just yeah. write right. five minutes, does it just right. free write, you know? Nothing was working. And so I almost dropped out of school. I wrote my PhD supervisor and I said, Dr. Rooney, I've been trying to write this. It's just not working. Maybe you should give the slot to somebody else who actually, you know, like deserves it and knows what they're doing. And she was so kind and she wrote me back and she said, Blake, I know you don't love writing about hip hop. You love making hip hop music. So she said, rather than dropping out, I want you to add a rap album to your dissertation. Oh, no big deal. So, yeah, so I ended up writing um, the dissertation, and for each chapter, there was a corresponding song, and the album's called Scholar. And what it resulted in is when it came time for my PhD defense, I was sitting in front of this panel of very serious-looking British people, and this elderly British uh, English professor looks over his glasses at me and says, Dr. Brandis, 
Excuse me, he didn't say Dr. Brandis. I was not a doctor yet. I said, Mr. Brandis. Mm -hmm. This is the first dissertation I would say is danceable. <laughs> this is like out of a movie. It totally like, was. It totally is. And it was great. And so we thankfully ended up getting my dissertation, which is why, yes, Dr. Brandis is now wow. the jam. But that's the, that's the journey in a nutshell. Nice. Wow. And, and I, I'm fascinated and, and sort of like, I don't, you know, like I'm a classical musician. I've delved into pop and contemporary and stuff like that, but I, I've never sort of delved into hip hop and beatboxing is what you, is also an aspect of what you do and rap and all that kind of stuff. So tell us like, what is the biggest sort of myth or wrong thing that's out in just the general knowledge public, right? That people know or people think about what you do, about hip hop culture, about hip hop music, that is not right in your in your mind of how you view hip hop. Sure, I think the biggest misconception is that hip hop is homogenous and so much of what my research was on is how young people around the world, whether it's in Tunisia, whether it's in India, whether it's in France, uh, second and third generation immigrant youth coming up from North Africa using hip-hop to express their frustrations with police brutality or lack of employment opportunities. So I think there's this idea that hip-hop is what you hear on Top 40 Radio in the United States. And right. the reality is it's an art form that people use in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And to kind of debunk that myth, I just invite people to Google literally any country in, in, in hip-hop and you'll see you know, there's all kinds of interesting hip-hop around the world. And even in the United States, hip-hop is so diverse. You know, you have people like NF, for example, it's just the same NF, the two letters, and he sounds like Eminem. That's very like the beats are kind of gothic. He's got this incredible flow and he's not swearing and he's talking about his personal struggles that he's had in life. And so if you just listen to it from a sonic perspective, it would sound very aggressive. But when you really dive into the lyrical content, not only is there some good wordplay in there, but it's also very emotionally relevant and reflective. And I think people often think that hip hop is not that. Yeah. So uh, that's a common misconception about hip hop. Uh, hip hop culture, I think similarly, it's just, it's turned into mainstream American culture in so many ways. Oh, completely, completely. Like, um, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll sit closer. <laughs> uh, some graph, it was some, on Facebook actually, some, some graph, and I can't really explain it other than like, ever since like 1980, the hip hop trend is just like, I'm, I'm, I'm visualize, visualize me just doing a line into the sky. And ever since like 1980, it's just gone bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, I think a lot of things, I think the 80s is a lot of when a lot of things change, like, you know, paradigms, zeitgeist, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't really know where else I'm going with that, except it's really part of the public consciousness. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it's interesting thinking about, you know, hip hop starts in the South Bronx in New York, primarily among ask, like, Brooklyn or Bronx, black or and brown yeah. youth, you know? And so thinking about how then it, like any resistance movement, initially it's, you know, NWA saying F the police, it's mm -hmm. very countercultural and then gets co-opted by capitalism. So, so going back to kind of when you were growing up as a kid, um, where did you grow up? And then also what, le what, what exposed you first to hip hop and that, that, that world when you were young? Yeah, I grew up in a rural town called Hickory, North Carolina. Well, howdy do. On the way to, <laughs> yeah. from Raleigh to, uh, where was it? Asheville, probably. Asheville, you're correct. Yeah, well, that's the only place you can go in that direction, so <laughs> you wouldn't be going anywhere else. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, for the most part, with a little stint in Ireland and a little bit in England as well. My father was a professor in college, and so we ended up living overseas a couple times. And growing up in Hickory, uh, my father was into reggae. He was really a Bob Marley fan. He actually taught courses at his college on Bob Marley and Rastafarianism and reggae, and so... We had a little bit of hip-hop growing up in the household, but really as a teenager was when I got into it for myself, and that was discovering DMX, um, you know, Rough Riders, mm. uh, and then The Roots sort of, sort of coming into a little more of the socially conscious hip-hop scene. And I loved it, but I thought there's no way like a skinny, nerdy, awkward white kid from rural North Carolina could do hip-hop. 
uh, until one day in high school, I was in this cipher, which is basically a rap circle. Mm -hmm. And one person's usually beatboxing, and the other people took turns rapping. And so they were like freestyling, so I was making it up on the spot. And I was like, this is amazing. So, of course, I go home and start trying to write my own like really bad raps, you know. I walked in the door. I fell on the floor. Um, <laughs> people don't want me to rap anymore. <laughs> so That's a good one. Well, thanks. I love that one. I have album. Oh, thanks. It's, it's called Self-Conscious Confessions. Um, <laughs> so I started practicing, and it was really bad, and formed a rap group that was also really bad. We were called... Well, the very first version of the rap group was called Amethyst because nothing says um, hardcore hip hop like a purple gemstone. Yeah. Right. And of course, it was really good too because we mispronounced Amethyst. We called it Amethyst. <laughs> so that was extra special. And then we rebranded as Agents of the Swarm. And this was based on a little computer game called Starcraft. The little yeah. alien was a Agent of the Swarm. We're like, ooh, that sounds cool. So uh, I started out as DJ Decryption. And we were really bad for a long time and just kept making music. And so part of what I talk about in Growth Mindset with students is like how you can be really bad at something for a long time. But if you keep working at it over time, your brain does grow. The neural pathways improve. And I know as professional musicians, you, you know, you would be afraid to suck. Yeah. That's what I said. You got to be bad before you get better. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. one of the mantras. Yeah. And so eventually I ended up producing music. It got better. <laughs> I yeah. figured out you can multi-track record. That really helped for having everyone around one microphone just like yeah, going, doing yeah, things. doing all the things. And when I was graduating from college, a music production company in New York reached out to me and said, hey, we're starting up this music production company. We want you to run it. I said, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what do you do? What's a music yeah. production company? They're like, you're smart. You can figure it out. So I started producing Thanks. music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for the help. That's right. Uh, and so I started producing music, ended up in England. I was doing my master's and PhD, and I met a singer right when YouTube was coming out in 2007. And she had gotten big just um, with her acoustic guitar sitting on her bed, just playing some originals, playing some mm -hmm. covers. And a mutual friend connected us, said, hey, you guys should make some music together. So we started jamming. We mm -hmm. came up with a song um, that she had written, and then I produced it all out. And this Portuguese internet company reached out and said, hey, we saw you on YouTube. We want to use one of your songs in a video. We had one song. <laughs> and so we said, we've got the perfect song for you. <laughs> and it ended up being this national Portuguese TV commercial for this internet company called Zon. And then launched this tour, like opening, you know, performing all over Europe. And yeah, so that's how I accidentally ended up in the music industry. So let's let's back up for a second because that's that's incredibly interesting and I want to know then how that led to other things. Um, let's talk about college. A, a large part of kind of why we did this podcast in the first place was to talk about um, choices that you made to be a whatever major in college. How did you choose to make that decision? And what like what led you? And and, and did you did you struggle with that? choice than even after and you're going in and you're doing your classes and stuff like that sure so the first thing i had to do was drop out of classical piano lessons oh, that's gosh. the first step on this journey because <laughs> uh, my parents said you have to take classical piano till you're 16 and i was like oh it's so painful but i did it and then when i was 16 i was like fine no more classical piano but i took ap music theory and that changed my life because Growing up, I could hear the songs that were going to be the hit singles on the album, but I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I took AP Music Theory. I'm like, oh, it's because these chord structures. Now you're able to articulate it. Exactly. And so then when I started making music, I was actually informed, <laughs> and I was conscious about what I was doing. So when I went to college, I went to Wake Forest University in North Carolina, and I was an English and French double major. And what I started doing was asking my professors if I could write raps instead of essays because I was like I'm so tired of writing essays right you know and I'm sure that professors were bored of reading 30 essays on the role of death in Emily Dickinson's poetry right. so I started asking if I could write raps and the professor kind of looked at me curiously and said will it be good and I was like yeah, yeah it'll be good like will you cite your sources I said yeah for sure and they said will you use quotes I said of course they said all right, good luck. And so I got the quotes first, and footnotes. That's baby. right. Hey, <laughs> quotes, footnotes. It's going to be dope. So yeah, yeah. I did the first one on Plato's Republic in this philosophy class freshman year. And the professor was like, 
that's an A. And I was like, oh, all right, this could be something. So I started both using hip hop as a medium to write about other things and also then writing in courses about hip hop. So, for example, the role... And so I had an Israeli-Palestinian conflict class, like a politics class. And so I wrote about how Palestinians were using hip-hop as a form of self-expression and political protest mm. in the disputed territories. And so things like that uh, were the formation of the academic study of hip-hop. And all through college, I was just making music. I did an album called Tales from Decrypt. DJ Decryption, yep. puns. I love puns. <laughs> and again, they were like, okay, the albums were okay. Uh, but I just kept going and just they got a little bit better, a little bit better, mm. a little bit better. And so ending up into when I got the Marshall Scholarship, it was to study hip hop. And how I got it was I had been researching in France how these immigrant youth in France were using hip hop to say we are being discriminated against, there's police brutality. The educational system is not supporting us and our goals, and so much frustration and rage. And so in my Marshall application for the scholarship, which the scholarships, they basically pay for you to do four years of postgraduate work in England. Well, two years plus a third year, and then I studied a fourth. But the point is, they pay for you to study in England. And I wrote this essay saying France is about to explode. Between the time I submitted the essay and the time I had my interview for the scholarship, the riots had happened in 2005 in Paris, where Paris was on fire. All these young people were rising up. Yeah. So I walked into the interview, and they said, are you basically going to say, I told you so? I said, well, I'm going to say, I told you so. But if people had been listening to the things young people were expressing through hip-hop, they would have seen this coming. It wouldn't be such a shock. So that's how I ended up doing this master's and Ph.D. on hip-hop. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think... Um, uh, so I looked at a piece of music and could understand the mechanics of it without really having any music training. You woke up singing one day when you were like two. Yeah. And you basically tripped and fell <laughs> and landed in the middle of the music industry. <laughs> so I really feel like art finds you. Yeah. I don't think I don't think one wakes up in the morning and is like, I'm going to be a virtuoso violinist. I don't think it happens that way. I think whether you like it or not, <laughs> it becomes your calling. But um, has there any, has there ever been anything that you've necessarily that you failed at? You feel like, oh, that did not go well at all. Besides the classical piano, that you, yeah. yeah, all the time. Um, and even classical piano, I was, I'm so grateful for the foundation it gave me sure. for composing music. I've composed everything on a keyboard and just drums, mm-hmm. drum machine. So, yes, uh, my first America's Got Talent audition before I ended up auditioning with you all mm-hmm. was ostensibly a failure, but it's one of the keynote stories I tell in my speeches to students and I made it through the first few rounds um, to make it to Madison Square Garden for the celebrity judges and I was freestyle rapping and so uh, Howie Mandel one of the judges goes in the audience he pulls up this guy asks the guy some questions the guy is super weird (laughs) and just saying very strange things which I think is part of the reason the full audition did not end up being televised Um, But I did this freestyle rap, and the crowd was into it. They were laughing at the jokes. They're cheering. And all of a sudden, I see a big red X light up on the front of Howard Stern's desk. In that moment, I'm like, oh, no. Like, Howard doesn't like it. Maybe the other judges aren't liking it either. Maybe I should just stop. And I was like, this is freestyle rap. you got to use that. So with, like, seconds left, I said, time is running out, but you know I'm not stressing. I came to reach the people and to teach a lesson. And yo, it doesn't matter if Howard gets to Xin, I'm still gonna keep rapping, no question. And the crowd goes wild. Mm. And so we go to the judges and Howard Stern's angry. He says, man, freestyle rap's not a real talent. You can't get paid to do that. That's why they call it free uh, style. I vote no, you don't go through. Howard Stern can't rap. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people think that rap takes no talent. Have you tried to memorize a rap song? Have you tried? Do you know how many lyrics there are? Getting the pattern down, getting the rhythms. It's not easy. I like to, I've heard you say that story before. And, and um, it's always amazing to me that like, it was, it was Howard Stern that said something incredibly so ignorant. <laughs> because You're saying he's I a mean, Perry on a virtue? Yeah. <laughs> because it's just, I mean, he has, he has a radio show, and he's had a radio show for, for years and years and years. And it's, you know, it's not like he's a closed-minded person. Like, I, I don't view him as a closed-minded person, but it's, it's very interesting. And it goes back to sort of the mindset 
that many people have about what hip hop is or what freestyle rapping is and whether or not that is a a talent as we view the word or we understand the word talent and whether or not it's even a skill or something something else and and how we all view it and i just i find that incredibly so insensitive for a nationalized television show to even like i mean yeah i mean stupid stuff is said all the time right on that show but i mean like comparatively to some of the other stupid stuff that they have there you know what i mean like on that show like yeah, I think, I think the thing to remember about anything like that is, is reality television, right? It's there to sell advertising, to keep people watching. So what's going to keep people Shocking. watching? Shock value, yeah. conflict, disagreement, vitriol. So I certainly didn't take it personally because yeah. I recognize this is it's theatrical, right? And so I would have canceled my serious subscription over. That. <laughs> you know I mean? People, the thing is, people no don't more Howard Stern. boycott. No, <laughs> people don't know what they like; they like what they know. Sure. Right, so he's. I think he's just mainly into rock music. So you know, a lot yeah. of people they don't they don't expand their horizons and they don't want to, and you have to you know it's, you have to accept that and you know honor that. Yeah. Um, I what, think it's short sighted, but that's just me. What what like what 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 did the other judges say to you? Was it was it positive? Was it? Yeah. So after Howard Stern exes me, we go to Heidi Klum and Supermodel. She loves it. You know, she's like, oh my gosh, it's such a talent. I totally vote yes. You go through. Then we go to Howie Mandel. He says, I loved it too. I thought it was more than just rap. It was comedy. It was theatrical. I vote yes. You go through. Yeah. So now it all comes down to Mel B, yeah. the former Spice Girl. So imagine having your future in the hands of a former Spice Girl. And Mel B says, I liked it, but I've seen better. I vote no. You don't go through. Ouch. So it's two yes, two no. I'm like, oh, man, don't go through. But then the producers came out, and they said, this season on America's Got Talent, we have a special feature. There's a golden buzzer each judge can use one time during the entire season. And when they use the golden buzzer, it saves the act on stage, and they go through to the next round, even if they didn't get enough votes. Mm -hmm. So now the crowd's chanting, send him through, send him through. So Howie stands up, and the crowd just goes wild. Use the golden buzzer, send him through. And Howie just raises his hand. He goes, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I didn't make it through. I came home. I watched the episode on TV. They didn't even put my entire audition on TV. They just put a couple seconds of it in the montages where they put a bunch of them really fast all together. Yeah. In that moment, I just, you know, I had the choice. That's why I tell the students. Like, I could have said, you know what? Howard and Melby are right. I'm just not good enough. Like, I should just go do something else with my life. It's like, Or I can just say, you know what? This is just one step in my journey. What can I learn from this? How can I use this? And my first thought was, well, I can use it to tell other students, hey, if something doesn't work out for you, if you get disappointed, if you hit a quote-unquote failure, you get to decide what that means for you. Yeah. Does that mean you're at the end, or is this just one step in your journey? I mean, to take it to another talent show, uh, American Idol, Adam Lambert didn't win. Mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer Hudson didn't win. Right. Oh, you know, it's almost, it's almost a curse if you do win that show, except if you're Kelly Clarkson, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson yeah. or Carrie Underwood. Well, I mean, and, and those and those two they deserve to big win. moguls. Yeah. I mean, they uh, they they did deserve to win, but at the same time, they were early on American Idol. I think we got so many seasons of American Idol and so mm -hmm. many winners and so many non-winners that you really had to be your own. Like you had to be. It became a subject of focus groups. I'm sure. Like, oh, you want a promoter. guy to win this year. You want to, you know, yeah, like, yeah. They they reinvented themselves, which is a huge key in, I think, any career, is Kelly Clarkson started in sort of, I mean, obviously she's still in the pop genre, but she's done country. She's done, you know, so all different time genres and, and crossed over to a bunch mm -hmm. of different things. Carrie Underwood, she can, she can sing all those different types of genres as well, even though she's prim primarily country. So, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's about how you reinvent yourself after, uh, you you do something like that, right? Otherwise... How do you like her as Maria? I know she was Maria in Sound of Music. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <Moving> on. <laughs> to kind of go off of sort of reinvention, in a way, because, uh, you know, like when I, was, when I was about 16, 17 years old, I auditioned for, I think, the second or third season of American Idol. Mm. Um, a lot of my friends had done it, right? Had auditioned. I got to several rounds and made it through kind of through several rounds and at, at some point at one point it's the last round for me they said uh, after i sang 
They said, well, you're too polished. And at the time, you know, when you're that young mm. and you're all you're looking for is not only just acceptance, but you're looking for validation in your talent. You don't understand what that means. Ooh. Later on, you understood like, oh, that means that they did not want somebody who's that trained already. who was trained yeah. the way that I had been my entire life. And so but that hits you hard because you're not only you're not only set with that word or whatever word that they're going to give you, but you're also set with the fact that they did not choose you mm. because of that word, because of it. And so it's a, there's a negative connotation. And there's also actually secretly a positive connotation. And how do you go on from that point and say, this is what I want to do with my life with that and inspire other people to get from beyond that point. And I, I love that you took uh, what could have been a very negative experience um, that could that could have totally um, turned you off from hip hop, one hundred percent, and left and left you searching for another career um, and another thing to do. But you took it and you so talk about like how you ended up having the idea to start is it motivational millennial and how you bring. <laughs> Uh, assemblies and talks and um, inspirational talks to kids in schools yeah so and I I'll get to that in just a moment but I do want to reflect on the polish thing which is that has to be so hard to hear also knowing that you invested so much time and energy and effort into your training into developing this quote-unquote polish sound and just I just I really feel like so much compassion for that like teenage version of yourself because oh to have it so feel so invalidated like yeah. oh all this work you put in and no we're not looking for someone who's put in that much work like oh so I really feel that yeah um yeah so on my own hip hop in schools piece I've been speaking in schools for 16 years the first 10 were just pro bono. Teachers and principals would call me up and say, hey, Blake, you're into hip-hop and education. Our kids love hip-hop. They're not so into education. Can you come and connect the two? I'd say, sure. Education. <laughs> That's right. And so I just I do workshops. I do little like talks here and there. And then about six years ago, a principal said, we'd love to pay you. And I said, well, that's new and different. You can get paid to help kids. And I started doing these talks and... They were fine at the beginning, like anything. Got to be bad before you get better, right? right it was definitely right. a journey. I look back at some of my early stuff and just cringe, like, oh. I would, so I'll give you one specific example. When I would go into high schools, I was so afraid. I was so insecure that they would be judging me, like, oh, here's this, like, skinny, nerdy white dude rapping. And I would be preemptively defensive. So my <laughs> early, the footage of my early assemblies, like, I walk into a high school. I'm almost, like, mean mugging immediately. I'm just like... Yeah, what's up? Like, it's you. And I was just like, <laughs> it's your boy. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah, we're cool. We're cool. And so it's just, it's like sort of cringy for me to watch that early stuff. But like anything, I just had to start where I started and just learn and watch myself and know, okay, that doesn't work. That does work. Iterate, iterate, iterate. Get my message. And then with growth mindset, it's this idea pioneered by Dr. Carol Dweck out of Stanford University. And it's based on 40 years of neuroscience research about how our brains grow and that things we think are inborn talents like can be dramatically improved by rehearsing, practice, getting mentorship, education. And so as soon as I put two and two together, I was like, this is what kids need to hear. And there's been some beautiful work in the academic sphere and in the educational sphere on growth mindset. But I was like, how can I make it super relevant? So, okay, let's talk about it with hip hop, like how I got started rapping. Let's teach the kids how to beatbox so they can have the experience of learning something they might not be perfect at, but it's really fun. And just helping them connect. Okay, you just learned how to beatbox. Now, how can you learn math? How can you learn another language the same way? Be willing to make mistakes, ask for help, make it fun all those core principles. And so that's why I'm so passionate about talking in schools because I see the kids light up. They think, oh, I thought I was bad at math because my dad was bad at math. Or I thought I couldn't learn another language because no one else in my family speaks another language. Or I'm stupid is a label they use. Mm -hmm. Saying, no, your brain can grow. How good you are when you start is no indication of how good you can eventually get at something. Mm -hmm. It's a floor, not a ceiling. It's your baseline, not where you're capping out just when you start. Right. 
So if I had you as an instructor, I'd have all A's. Straight <laughs> straight every year. So basically, you you um you you more or less inspire people for a living. What inspires you? Do you wake up every day with daily affirmation? Like, it's going to be a good day. Like, how do you? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I love it. Uh, my morning rituals are so brutal. They're just non-existent. Um, <laughs> so every time I read, like, the personal development stuff, I was like, your morning ritual is the key to success. I'm just like, if that's true, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm the anomaly. That's right. So I think a lot of people don't have that piece figured out. But what inspires me is two things. The first is reading a lot of personal development stuff and watching YouTube channels. So whether it's Marie Forleo, whether it's Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, just some of these brilliant thinkers. Mm-hmm. But at one point, my therapist just said, you have read too much personal development. <laughs> like, you are overanalyzing every decision you're making. I'm like, oh, so what, you, what I'm hearing is I need to go study mindfulness. She's like, oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not sure you're getting my message. So... Anyway, I so then Eckhart Tolle, like some of the more mindfulness-based stuff, and that was like, okay, cool. So basically the point is chill out more <laughs> and just be present. And that's what freestyle rapping is at its core. It's about radical acceptance of what is in that moment. If I said something that didn't make sense, okay, cool. Make it make sense in the next line. Mm-hmm. If I said something that didn't rhyme, that's fine. Make the next line rhyme. Just, it's all meta. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so – I think that piece for me, the inspiration is that's like the the conceptual piece. Mm-hmm. The interactive piece is doing. I love doing parent nights. So I'll talk to a group of parents about how to help their students have a growth mindset. Yeah. I work with teachers on how to help teachers have a growth mindset for themselves and their kids. And that is, I love afterwards parents coming up and they're saying, "I have this challenge with my kid." You know, they get really frustrated when they make a mistake or whatever, and just helping them work through that and giving them strategies that they can use to help their kid feel more empowered to learn, to try new things, to grow, to make mistakes, and just seeing the relief on their face, like, oh, it doesn't have to be a struggle all the time. Or if it does, like, the struggle is part of the process. Where does drive come from, the origination of what drives an individual? Um, and, and maybe that relates for you to hip-hop directly, because hip-hop becomes the, the, the vehicle um to help drive that person but what happens if they are not uh opened to that genre or or any music genre what can people do on just in general that you think would help them help these kids create a drive in themselves a push yeah i think it's interesting when we think about you know um, the perspective kids don't necessarily want to work hard at the basics because mm-hmm. I think that's leveled a lot against millennials, right? Our generation. And so it's part of the reason um, my co-founder and I created Motivational Millennial was to combat the perspective that millennials are lazy and entitled. And so we work far more than the baby boomers ever did. <laughs> Way more hours, right. six days a week. Come on. Greg does. (laughs) (laughs) I know. One of my favorite personal development things is like, make I statements. Um, Yeah, no, but it's true. Yeah, so right. So there's there's this whole spectrum of experiences, right? Like there are millennials who are working incredibly hard. There are millennials who are creating their own path, and they're Mm. they're only working, you know, 20 hours a week because they've created something where they can do that. And so to answer your question, Megan, I think passion is the core of it for this drive so when i see a kid who's not motivated to do like you're saying the basics in school what i'm what i'm seeing there is that they are not connecting what they're doing in school with something they're passionate about so my first goal in any situation like that is not to try to discipline them into action but instead to get curious what are they passionate about? what do they love what pulls them because what I know is that if I can find what pulls a kid then I can attach all of those fundamental things they have to do to their passion and now I've got rocket fuel now we're not trying to you know drive them and just beat them on the back to get them to move forward now they've got something that's pulling them so for some kids that's video games they love video games cool let's find video games that are related to the thing we want them to do some kids love music great let's create songs about whatever this thing is that might be boring otherwise Dance, art, theater, you know, all these different tools. And so some kids don't know what they're passionate about, right? That's another challenge. I just say, hey, what do you want to talk about for two hours with your friends? If you could talk about anything with your friends for two hours, let's 
start there as a jumping off point for finding some of your passion or thoughts. Snapchat. That's right. That's Snapchat. Right. There's so much you could do with Snapchat. You can do, you know, technology. You can do community building. You can do art, visual media. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm so excited. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I, I wish I had had you, like, in the schools that I went to kind of make one of those features because I, I feel like back when, I mean, really, when we were all the same age, but, like, back when we all went to school, I think, the, like, there, there were people that came in and did assemblies and talked about, you know, say no to drugs and, and also, you know, say yes to this or something or whatever, you know what I mean, versus, so, but there was never a talk about your passion. There's a part of us that knew, like, some, unless you had really supportive parents, like we did, like we all probably had supportive parents, I know that I did, so, uh, but otherwise, like, I wasn't being told that I can just go out and be a professional musician. I didn't know what that looked like because I didn't have anybody in my family that had ever done that. I, mm. I, I actually, I was the first person to graduate from college in my entire family, like grandparents, like all of it, like for many, many generations, like no one had ever gone to college and earned a degree. So like for me to even go to graduate school was a huge step after undergrad. Mm. And, but what motivated me was a, a career that I saw for myself that I knew that I was good at before I stepped into college. Right. And for me, that was teaching and it's great that I can perform too, you know, and that's how all three of us met. We, we did an acapella group that, <sighs> you know, it, it, it fell apart, <laughs> but but look at the friendships that look at all the friendships that we formed yeah. with our group members that then ended up, you know, doing other things for us um, later after that experience. And that was probably like what a year or so ago that we all did that mm-hmm. acapella group together. So um, and, and we, we've formed other acapella groups and, and individual, you know, and we've gone out and done other things, but I think, um, what's great about being a musician is, is that we get those experiences. We get those little, little experiences. We get the big experiences where things do go right and things do continue on and are positive. Um, but that's, that's fun about, that's a fun part about being a gigging musician, a performing musician. Um, and then I get to be a teacher, yeah. which is, which is, there's a stability in that, but there's also not a stability in it, right, too. So, um, you, you get to inspire and you get to perform. I mean, you could say that at any job. Is there stability or unstability? Sure. Take it to, to take it back to I statements, I'll start doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I hesitate to say that my family wasn't supportive. I wouldn't say that. Um, however, um... I did sort of get a speech, like, kind of, like, early on, like, when I was about 19 or 20, um, from my sister that said, well, I mean, I just don't know why you want to do this, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, you know, God forbid your arms get chewed off by an alligator, and I'm like, you know, that would actually screw me for a lot of jobs. Super random. If I lost my limbs to an alligator attack, I, I need think to meet I'd your be... sister. She sounds fun. And she got so mad that I wouldn't agree with her that she, like, stalked off. And, yeah, so I can't say that, I mean eventually i mean it's 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 somewhat a bit now they're sort of like they're okay with yeah that. now that i'm pushing 40 and i've been doing this for long enough and i actually make money at it, i'm pretty good at it i think or else they wouldn't pay me right. they pay me to stop if i was bad right i'll pay you thank you yeah. so yeah um anyway <laughs> it's okay. different for everybody um but yeah it's uh again i think it finds you and i think it's just it's a drive well this gets to the nuance i think in what we're saying too which is that the message of you can do anything needs to be accompanied by, and this is what you can control about that process, and this is what the journey is likely to be, which is so much what I appreciate about what you're doing with this podcast and Experience Points because I think it's, yeah, I think it's saying there are beautiful things about pursuing your passion and making a career out of it, and some of it's getting really creative, to your point, Megan. You, yeah. you know, you're teaching in addition to some of the performance work. Greg, you know, I know in your first episode, you talked about some of your own mm-hmm. journey with the gigging and like putting that together and making mm-hmm. it work. And just, I think it's, you can do anything and it may not be easy. So here's some resources to support you along the way. I think yeah. that's the complete conversation we need to have with kids. Because kids know, you, know, you say to a group of kids, hey, you can all be president one day. 
they do the math. They're like, well, no, we can't all be president one day. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that's right. So it's just, you know, I think kids get, kids are smart, right? They right. get that. The logic part of it. Yeah. And so, so yeah. how can we set them up for success? But also so they don't quit. You know, you say, oh, I can be anything. Cool. I'm going to go audition for American Idol. Oh, they told me I was a terrible singer. Oh, no, my life is over. Mm. Right. How can we say it's okay to be bad and we can be honest with kids about where they are right now, but then where growth mindset comes in is here's how you can get better if you want to. And so going back to one of the misconceptions that people sometimes have, they say, well, what about talent, right? Some kids start better at an instrument or singing than other kids. You're saying talent doesn't exist. What I'm saying is that everyone's baseline where they start is different. Right, So, yes, some kids are going to be much farther along when they start than other kids. But what all the research shows is that that doesn't determine how far kids can improve or develop if they stick with it, if they have support. And so that's the reason I'm always like, yes, it may be easy, but sometimes being easy is a curse for kids. When something's easy for them when they start, it's like, ooh, I'm talented. It's easy for me. Mm -hmm. The second they hit up something that's difficult, ooh, I don't want to try that. But the only way you get really, really good is by doing the difficult stuff, right? Right. Talking about doing difficult things, I think um, that's that's something I want to kind of maybe even leave with our audience is is when something like that hits you. And we kind of talked about it now, but uh, when when something difficult hits your path, whatever age, and and we're no longer just speaking to I think the 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 people under the age of eighteen that are still in grade school. Um, a, g- coming up against these roadblocks in their life um, and whether that be a personal roadblock or an educational roadblock or even like a like what they're passionate in their artistic roadblocks um, but also when they become adults um, I found the biggest struggle like with watching the students that I have encountered in my 15 years of teaching how do you come out of a situation like America's Got Talent, like mine, mm-hmm. and uh, be resilient in what you're doing? How do you regain the foot? Like, where do you, at some point, tell yourself or go get the help um, or go ask a mentor or whatever? Should you have these people set up for yourself? Like, is, is that incredibly important to have this sort of uh, encouragement circle, if you will, of people that will tell you not only the truth, but keep you on the right track. How would you, can you help gauge for the young listeners that are here <laughs> that are not sure that they're talented? They're not sure if they have the right talent or the, the right skill level to be a professional in that industry, whatever that industry is. Yeah. How would you, do you, how do you gauge? I'll answer the second question first. Um, I actually don't believe that we should discourage someone based on, to your point, if they're starting out and they want to be a singer, they're not a great singer. I don't actually think we should say you're a terrible singer. I think what we should say is, based on where you are right now, you might not necessarily be able to hear pitch. You might not be able to harmonize. You, you know, There are these skills that singers mm-hmm. need to develop. Are you willing to commit to learning those skills, to practicing. And here's what that time frame might take. It might take years. Are you saying that just being honest with someone is the best way to be? Because, you know, yeah, just, just to simply say they're terrible is probably a lie. Um, and if they're not very good to say they're Mariah Carey is also a lie. So it works both ways. So you're saying just by being honest and giving them a guideline of how to improve themselves, that makes them better? Yeah, and I'm saying wow. focus on the process. Yes. And the journey, not where they are in the moment. I think that's the most important thing. Because we think like, okay, right now I'm a terrible singer. I thought that. My mom growing up was like, please don't sing. <laughs> like, you know? And so so I didn't. But I was in acapella groups all growing up. And so I did the rehearsals with them. And I accidentally ended up being able to hear pitch and to be able to sing harmony. Now, so the past year, I've been taking vocal lessons because I wanted to prove to kids that even if you had no like, – I couldn't hear pitch at all growing up. It was a disaster. But now I have a five-channel loop station, and I loop up five-part harmonies with my beatboxing live for hundreds and sometimes thousands of people at the at the moment. Am I a great singer, quote-unquote? No, but I've developed the skill and those individual elements to be able to do it well enough to perform. So 
Yeah, I think you're right. The process is what we need to have people focus on. And to your first question, Megan, building a community to support you is key. Not only to say, yes, keep going, or yes, here's honest feedback, but to say, hey, tell me what you're really feeling. I think so often we bottle up the frustration, we bottle up the discouragement, and so that's the toxic part. It's mm-hmm. not that we feel those feelings, it's that we keep it inside and then mm-hmm. start looping it in our heads, I should quit, I'm bad at this, I'm, you know. I went through that last night. Really? Because <laughs> I heard my voice was not warmed up enough, and I was struggling, and I'm like, I can't sing these songs. What am I doing here? And I would even like say this out loud. My second set was better because I finally let out that frustration. I didn't pretend it wasn't an issue. And it was better the second set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta and that's have a, that Gur moment. That's a beautiful it's that yeah, yeah, and that because what the Gur does is it lets your body relax, mm-hmm. right? Now you're not tense and then yeah. you can sing the way your body knows you can sing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a beautiful example. And so my encouragement is that like Get people around you who encourage you to release. Who don't tell you, oh, no, no, it's fine. You're fine. Don't worry. It's fine. That's what you do to kids sometimes, right? Like, no, you're okay. You're okay. No, it's okay not to be okay. In fact, tell me you're not okay. That will help all of us. I can't help you if I don't, if, if, if I know, if I don't know anything's wrong, I can't help you. If you don't say what the issue is, I can't, there, that's how I said it. If you don't say what the issue is, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to create a safe space for you to, to share that. Because I think a lot of times we've been judged or people have contradicted us. If you, mm-hmm. you, you said, I'm so frustrated, I'm not saying that. No, Greg, you're a great singer, man. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. But that's not helping you like release that. It's contradicting. So you're like, well, is it right? But I feel this way, but should I feel this way? Now I feel like stupid for even saying that and it's going to make it worse. Exactly. Keep up my tense level. Thank you. I, I think it's important also to, like in like you said, safe space. Like as a teacher, and I've taught theater, I've taught musical theater, I've taught music. It's so important to have, to create a safe space. And as a teacher and as an educator or even as a budding teacher, if there's people listening out there, it's important to have the skill and talent to do what you're doing, Right. But it's also important to try to be on these kids' level, whatever those kids are. You have to, um, you have to be able to hear sometimes on a maybe a private level, sometimes their frustrations and their problems, or sometimes they'll be so open with you, they'll let you know what's going on at home. Yeah. And like those kinds of conversations, they break your heart. But those are the moments that, like, for me as a teacher, not only the inspirational moments, right, that come sometimes with students, but those are the uh, another reason why I love being a teacher, because these people have now, these students, <laughs> and now you've heard Greg sing. <laughs> and now we have to pay him money. Well, you're right. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you're modeling you vulnerability. <laughs> so, uh, to do a complete 180 here. It's like too much vulnerability. Too much feels. Too much feels. Well, um, so you're talking about uh, your 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 looping five part harmonies, and I and I see your drum boss drum machine in the corner there. So I'm excited to hear about what what you have coming next. And what are you currently promoting? Yeah. So I tour the country right now, speaking to schools. Yep. So. Anytime schools need some support in that um, for either the students, for the teachers doing professional development, for parent nights. So, and that's all just uh, at my website, blakespeaks.com. I Blake and I Speaks. And also my most recent musical project is called Remix Your Reality. And that, as a special gift for your listeners, is mm-hmm. available for free at blakespeaks.com. Yay. Uh, they just go on there, and it's a free download. That's the, the secret website. My main one is just my name, blakebrandis.com. So Blake, B-L-A-K-E. Speaks, speaks. with an S. Speaks. Two S's, I guess. And, yeah, so Remix Your Reality, and it's all songs that are about what we've talked about today, about persistence, about frustration, about feeling what you're feeling and overcoming those challenges or just being in the muck and in the goo and accepting that too. So awesome. I don't mean for all these things to rhyme, but sometimes they do. <laughs> well, it's, it's apropos. Uh, so we like huge thanks for you coming on our podcast when it's so brand new, it's still shiny. Brand is. Um, Ooh. Thanks. 
Boom. Did it the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. You are. Well, speaking of puns, I do have to say I love your podcast that's called Experience Points because I'm also a huge Dungeons and Dragons player yes. and like a huge computer gaming role playing dude. So, like, I was like, oh, Experience Points. I wonder if they also talk about Dungeons and Dragons. So, that's we're, so built, funny we're building because... our EXP. We're yeah. starting out as, you know, uh, <laughs> novices. We're going to be lords one day. That's I actually so named it Experience Points because we talk about not only experiences of our guests and of ourselves, but also kind of the the, uh, the the thing that happens when somebody asks you to do something for free um, as a musician <laughs> and they cite that you're getting experience points uh, or experience credits uh, in your life for doing said free gig. Uh, so don't do that. <laughs> Like, Unless you are young. Unless you need the experience. Do Unless you Once need you've experienced it. it, you don't need to experience a second time for no money. Do it for the exposure. Yeah. Do I have, it for the exposure. I have died of exposure. That's right. <laughs> I thought about doing exposure points, but that kind of no, had that's a, a different that's like for connotation. A different channel. That's not, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to exposure points. Well, thank you so much again for coming on our podcast. We really appreciate you spending time with us and talking about your career. It's incredibly fascinating for me to hear and um, hopefully for our listeners too. And uh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's been a joy to be with you both. I love what you're doing both podcast-wise and in the world. Thank you for sharing your passion and your music with all of us. Yeah. It's a true gift. the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and through Spotify. Special thanks for the use of our theme music by composer Michael Gill from his album, Blues for Lazarus. If you would like to follow the latest news about our podcast and upcoming guests, please visit our Facebook page at Experience Points the Podcast, where you can leave us questions or comments. <laughs>